0: Josh Friedemann. My guess is that every single one of you listening to this podcast today either has had or will have the opportunity to positively impact the life of a kid. And even if you are that rare exception, I encourage you to continue listening today because there are a lot of great leadership insights that you're going to be able to pick up from this podcast. Our guest is the head of an all girls school. And today she's going to be sharing with us some of the leadership insights that she's learn from her own leadership, as well as some of the lessons that she has picked up along the way from a lot of the great leaders who have helped her in her own growth. We're going to get to a little bit more about her in just a second. But first, do you want to accelerate your leadership success? There's a way you can do that for free, and it's called the Mind Scan. This assessment is an inventory based on the Nobel-nominated Hartman Value Profile, and it measures your capacity to make value judgments concerning you and the world around you. Instead of simply understanding how you behave, it objectively measures why you behave the way you do. Align your thinking strengths with your leadership goals by applying to take the Mind Scan today. All you need to do is apply by emailing community at lifeasleadership.com. You'll get a unique link in the opportunity to review your results. Both the assessment and review call are totally free. If you want to understand the how and why of your decision making, in order to more quickly get the results you want, the Mind Scan can be your next step to success. Once again, community at lifeasleadership.com. Now, on to today's interview. Our guest today is known for her work on leadership, education, and national security. She's the head of the Baldwin School, which is a 130-year-old all-girls school outside of Philadelphia, renowned for academic excellence and for preparing girls to be leaders and change makers. Prior to joining Baldwin in 2016, she served at the White House, was a visiting fellow at Harvard Kennedy School and at the Council on Foreign Relations, and served in the U.S. Navy as one of eight female aviators in an air wing of about 200. She's just written a book called What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women. Here is Dr. Marissa Porges. Marissa, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Josh. Great to be here.
0: So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. You ready for these? Sure. Sure. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day?
1: Yeah, I, my mind goes right to some of my memories when I was um, serving in the military and serving along soldiers and sailors, um, particularly in the front lines. And one that jumps to the fore is. Um a time when I was in Afghanistan um, serving at military headquarters in Kabul. And I can just remember um, a moment where the colonel I was serving alongside, sitting next to, when I first arrived, and I didn't have all my gear, and I was sort of still getting my um my my wits about me, as it were, and uh and he turned and he handed me his personal protective equipment. Um, and then handed me a calling card and told me to call home and make sure my mother knew that I had arrived safely, uh, in Afghanistan. And it was just this one small moment where, um, the idea of selflessness in leadership and the idea that, um, at the end of the day, we really need to be looking out for our people in the the most essential, basic ways possible, including making sure we're, we're calling home to our loved ones, um, really just stood out to me and and has been something that I've, um, remembered ever since.
0: Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is?
1: Empathetic, courageous, and mission-oriented.
0: What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others?
1: Ah, this is good. I'm, I'm going to give a list of questions, I think, a short list, but I think we always ask what worked. Um, I think it's as important to ask what didn't work. Um, and then add on what didn't work um, well enough for your team, and so always looking at um, taking the perspective of the team that's alongside you and, and working with you to figure out um, how you can in continually improve what you're doing.
0: And what is a book that you would recommend to leaders?
1: This one—it's—it's it's a tough one. I think we all have a long list of books that we save on our shelves and things we refer to. I'm going to pull one back from um, years ago that has—it's uh, been around for many decades. Um, but it goes to that mission-oriented piece I spoke to earlier, and it's um, called Man's Search for Meeting um, by Viktor Frankl, and it's um, it chronicles the experience of a prisoner in concentration camps in World War II, actually. Um, and it's really just it's a short read. It's an afternoon's read, but it really goes to the power of purpose um, and how we can find hope in, in different ways and motivate um, ourselves and our people, and that you know, at the end of the day, mission is what um, brings out the best in people and brings out the best in leaders.
0: If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be?
1: I think the, the act of perspective taking. I think we, we often think of it as self-reflection, but I think it's also about reflecting on how others and what others' perspectives are on any given issue. Um, I think it makes us better as people, but it definitely makes us better as leaders.
0: And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not?
1: Oh, I think my team will tell you I ask why all the time. I think it's just, it's a, uh, you know, and maybe it's just a positive slant on the two of them, but I'll go for a why on this one.
0: Well, Marissa, we are here today to talk about your new release, What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women. I'd love to get a little bit of an overview of the book. Right now, you're headmaster at a school, but I imagine that there are a lot of things that makes this topic meaningful to you based off of your own life experience as well. Could you talk a little bit about the book and why it is necessary for our world today?
1: Thank you, Josh. Uh, You know, this, uh, this book does really pull from both uh, not just my daily experience as uh, head of an all-girls school outside of Philadelphia, but, um, but really the, my life experience and, you know, in the military, serving at the White House, um, serving overseas, um, in largely male-dominated environments, but, you know, just looking more fulsome at, at, at the lay of the land and, and what women in particular are facing, um, in work and, and at home and, and out other places as well. And, you know, the, the book argues that we can do more to prepare um, young women, uh, even from you know the age of as they're young girls, for the world that they um, will be entering by helping them lean into some of their natural talents and really making those the strengths that will be their competitive advantage, uh, whatever direction they head as adults. And so the, the argument is twofold. The argument is, one, um, that the book sa- lays out um, key skills and ways of thinking and being, that we need to continually uh, help women and young women and girls even improve upon, but then also that uh, it's not just about uh, that we need to think a little, we can think a little differently to really um, leverage some of the unique talents that uh, that girls have to, that will make the lasting difference, you know, as they grow up and when they're adults too.
0: And what are some of those skills and ways of thinking and being that are important? And and maybe another thing, what are some what are some things that, that parents and teachers can be thinking about in order to help girls succeed in developing these skills?
1: Yeah, it, it's, It's a good question. And I think, you know, the the uphill battle is just sort of reflects the fact that while, you know, there's been, you know, significant changes over the past number of decades, there's any woman would say, you know, we can still think on a daily basis of uh, moments of gender bias or discrimination that would reflect the fact that we still have a ways to go. Um, and so even as systemic change is critical, we also need to make sure we're preparing ourselves and preparing our young women for um, those realities so they can be their best selves and, and thrive whatever happens next. You know, I think it's important, and I'll talk to the skills and then ways of thinking about it, but... You know, the thing that as I'm talking about these skills, I think it's important to remember that little things make a big difference. And so when I'm talking about in the book, um, you know, piece of advice uh, for parents and educators and anyone with a young woman in their life, it's not about being perfect. It's not about massive change. It's just about thinking a little differently about things like how we, you know, help our girls be persuasive, um, how we help them. Um, really ask for what they need when they're young so that when they're older, they do better at things like negotiating. Um, an area where women still to this day, uh, you know, have, uh, there's significant, there's studies that show, you know, women by and large do not negotiate and persuade as effectively um, as men when it comes to self-advocacy. Um, and I think we'd all agree that's something that um, everyone needs in their daily lives. Uh, it's about helping ensure that This is something, interestingly enough, that is an innate skill of young women, um, collaborative problem solving. Studies recently showed that uh, teenagers, young, early teens outperform their peers around the world on collaborative problem solving skills by as much as 30 points uh, on tests that were given out um, by by one research group. And, uh, that's a skill that in any workplace, uh, today would say that is a skill that will help you stand out and will help you succeed. So how do we help young women lean into that and make that something that they understand as their strength and they can use later on? And it's something, these are ideas that I came to, um, in my own work when I was uh, particularly um, doing counterterrorism research uh, that you, you mentioned uh, in the intro um, overseas. And I would have these moments where I would lean into, you know, sort of my personal approach to things that was very different than um, some of my male peers. Um, and I can remember one moment when I was, uh, you know, interviewing um, an Al-Qaeda terrorist, actually, a former Al-Qaeda recruiter. Um, and, you know, after uh, a lunch with him in Sana'a in Yemen and we... Um, there was a moment where he asked a personal question and I gave him a very honest answer. Um, And the moment that resulted was this perspective taking and this time of empathy that I think was unique to me as a woman. Another area where I think our girls can have a competitive advantage again in how they lean into their empathetic skills and their empathetic thinking. So these are just three examples of three skills, three ways of being um, that we can encourage in our young women um, to help them, Uh, you know, do better wherever they head next. And again, I think the key is for parents and adults to think how little things can make a big difference in making these skills stand out for our girls.
0: And one of the things that you had mentioned was some of the natural ability that girls have in collaborative work. And then you mentioned negotiating. In certain situations, girls may not do that as much. How much of this is a matter of strengthening things and then finding areas where there is room for improvement for things that may not come quite as naturally. Is that a fair way of couching that?
1: Yeah, I think it's both. I think, you know, on one hand, we want to help girls in particular lean into their strengths. Um, And then I think it's also about er recognizing areas that from a systemic standpoint, from a social norm standpoint, from uh, things that studies show, you know, there's gaps between how men and how women perform. We think, well, it's not just about pointing that out potentially as a, a weakness we have to work on, but instead thinking, how can we make it feel um, uniquely personal and make it feel right for a young girl. So for example, negotiating, I think um, that is something that studies show um, women still to this day don't um, do as effectively and, and that women self-advocate not as often and as well. Um, but it, it's also true that when women, um, girls, uh, when, when you present to them a a moment where they have to argue for somebody else or, um, or on behalf of a project or a, a mission they believe in, they often find it easier it becomes something that is a personal, you know, project for them. And then they do really well at it and it's more comfortable. So it's not about pointing that out as a weakness, but instead saying, well, is there another way that feels right to your girl to make this, um, a strength of hers? So the example here I'll give is, is at my school. Um, when uh, our students uh, decided that we could do better on environmental issues, and in particular how we handle uh, recycling um, and our silverware in our dining hall. And suddenly it became something that a few girls made um, their project and really became advocates for, and they learned to raise their voice and they learned to be more effective persuaders and eventually negotiated with the administration of the school, myself and my team, um, to do better on how we handled recycling in our dining hall. Um, and it's just something that is a small example, but has a lasting impact because those young women will learn over time their personal approach to negotiating, persuading, asking for what they need, and they will be stronger at it. So it will will no longer be, uh, you know, an area of weakness later on. So I think it's, again, about how you think about these things so that they become strengths that feel right personally to, to a young woman or a girl.
0: And I'm glad you brought up your leadership at the Baldwin School. I'd like to hear a little bit more about some of the things that you've done, whether consciously or in retrospect, maybe unconsciously to develop, uh, first of all, obviously the academic side, but also in, in your bio, we were reading about how you are preparing girls to be leaders and change makers. What are some of the ways that you have directed the school toward that, or maybe even have inherited that along the way as you came into leadership in 2016?
1: Thank you. Well, I'm I'm fortunate to Um, be the eighth head of a school that is over 130 years old. So I have um, arrived and uh, just finished my fourth year and and have built on a very strong foundation academically and otherwise. It's long been known as a school that um, is both academically at at the the peak of its game and also creating leaders of the future. Um, One thing that I think is important for any leader coming into an organization is to then overlay on, um, particularly on success, things that um, can make it feel uh, right for you and uniquely yours. And so one thing that I personally, with my team, but then across the school, really believe in a collaborative and distributive leadership model. And it's about how you allow um, those around you to step in and step forward um, in big formal leadership ways, but also in small leadership moments. Um, and I we do that with our faculty here. We have them serving on committees, um, making sure that they're front and center and taking, um, taking the reins and sort of giving their expertise in, in leadership ways as well. Um, But then you allow kids to do that, too. An example I'll give you that is, you know, front and center right now is how we're responding to the current pandemic. Um, We are bringing students into the conversation. Um, One thing we've done over the summer is on a volunteer basis for student leaders, um, we've had meetings with them to give them updates on the plans for the fall. And then we've asked them, well, what ideas would you have to, for example, um, improve uh, on our outdoor classroom space or, um, you know, develop a student compact where the students are helping draft a compact that they themselves will have to sign to, you know, help us adhere to certain health and safety protocols that we think are going to work best um, in the coming year, given the current global, uh, excuse me, current public health guidance, um, and I think it's finding moments that allow children at all ages uh, and adults at all stages to really own um, their expertise and and give their perspective to leadership decisions that are underway. Um, that is something we do here at the school every day, and something that really empowers them to understand um, themselves as leaders and then you know be better and bigger leaders when they they graduate.
0: What would be some recommendations as? parents are spending a lot more time with their kids and particularly to the point of this interview, their daughters these days. What would be some recommendations that you would give to parents to think about developing and raising these bold, courageous, and resilient women?
1: So I uh, think of three things. One, um, little things really matter. I think uh you know, we all know that children sop up everything we hear. It's particularly true that young girls are, are really looking at us, um, looking at their mothers, their fathers, their those loved ones in their lives, particularly now as we're spending more time at home with them, and really listening to everything that's going on around them. So um, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to be, um, you know, sort of a massive change in how you, you um, think about things. But to find little moments to um, call attention to your own, Um, leadership styles or to ask your daughter questions around the dinner table about things that are going on in her life will validate what she's hearing and thinking and reinforce the messages that you want to give um, and I also think this leads to the second thing which is practice really matters practice 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 it helps um, us grow our leadership muscles but it also is critical for our girls too so even little small things like ordering at the restaurant ordering um, you know take out uh, on the phone it's a day to maybe move away from the app on your on your smartphone and, and Pick up, pick up a phone or use the, use your smartphone to have your daughter call on behalf of the family in order. Little things like that help her practice. Again, small moments, but allowed her to practice. The skills and ways of being, and and those muscle memories that will be so critical when she's older. And I think you know that leads to the last point is we're always role models, and um, just to keep that in mind, and and find other role models for your daughter um, that exemplify uh, you know the ways we want her to lead later. Um, you know whether that's in books she's reading, or things you're watching on TV, or in movies, or just uh, the people you uh, bring up and point out to her over in the course of daily life. I think it's uh, it's as important too.
0: So you've shared about how a lot of your career has been spent in traditionally male dominated areas. Would you say that what you write about in this book is what you wish you would have experienced? Or is this what you you did experience growing up in preparation for what you're doing today?
1: It's a little of both. Uh, one thing that, ha- you know, this book all came together um, during a leadership course that I was uh, teaching to our seniors right before they graduated. And in the course of talking with them, and, you know, we were discussing not just their plans for college, but, you know, life after college. And I started telling stories um, from uh, my time in the military, from my time serving at the White House and overseas. And suddenly it had dawned on me that those some of those stories also represented lessons I didn't have when I was young. So yes, some of the book stories are about and lessons are things I was missing, but some of them are also things that I was fortunate to have when I was younger, including the encouragement by my, my, uh, my parents and my father in particular to be to be a risk taker. Um, And so, you know, the story from when I um, decided to fly for the military at a time when, you know, uh, combat uh, aviation was closed uh, to women and, you know, during the course of my training, it it opened up. And so I was able to then fly off uh, eventually off of aircraft carriers during my Navy service. Um, It, you know, those moments were, again, sort of lessons I did have and then lessons that I missed along the way. Um, And so it's it's a little bit of both, I think. Um, one thing is, is critical is to consider our own moments of failure or, or our own moments of things we wish we had done better and share those with the next generation too, because, um, that's going to be as important to them as they figure out, um, new and better ways to be leaders themselves.
0: One of the most important things is to have people that you can model your life after. And sometimes it's learning from their mistakes, but oftentimes it is looking at their lives and saying, how can I model what I've seen? Are there any women that you model your life after or you would point to as exemplars?
1: Yeah, I uh, it's throughout my life, I've actually, um, you know, interestingly enough, and a lot of it has to do with where my career took me and where my career led, um, that I had a lot of male role models along the way, um, particularly in the military and particularly in the counterterrorism sphere um, uh, that set the tone for um, the type of leader I want to be and, and the type of leader that I hope I am today. Um, so I think this is, it's a good thing to remember that, both men and women, dads and moms, and um, and uncles and aunts, and every uh, and and on uh, are important role models for young women. Um, and one that sticks out to me in particular is the the colonel that I mentioned earlier in the call, um, uh, in the earlier in our, our interview rather, um, who in Afghanistan was um, the exemplar of both. Uh, somebody who is courageous, selfless, and, and truly mission-oriented in his work um, uh, in uniform, and then his work uh, you know, in, uh, during those quiet moments when you looked around and realized what um, your the soldiers and sailors around you need to be um, their best selves uh, personally and professionally. And so I think uh, those are the, the folks I point to, and I'm, I'm fortunate to have had them along the way
0: there are going to be any number of teachers, parents, or other people that work with young girls listening to this podcast. If you could encourage them to share a message with young girls, what would you encourage them to include in that message?
1: I think it's a couple things. I think one, uh, that their personal um, approach uh, to lean into it, right? To lean into their empathetic thinking, to lean into their approach to collaborating, to lean into whatever is um, their, you know, their passion Um, and those sort of, so it's a little bit different areas that are ways of thinking and ways of being to lean into that and to own it um, and then find ways to strengthen their voice through that. I think um, both the research in the book, um, my personal experience and and, uh, also my time here at the school would say that um, that girls owning um, their special um, perspective, their own voice on things really makes them uh, stronger um, and then be able to stand out later. Um, I also think it's about teams, um, about how we rely on each other. One thing that I'm very fortunate to see here every day is how the girls count on each other um, and really collaborate so effectively and so, um, and learn over time to do that more and more. And I think it's one thing that we interestingly don't talk enough about, particularly with young um, young women in terms of how they work together and, um, and really, uh, you know, is the, the exact prime example of one plus one equals three, how they bring out the best in each other. And then um, the outcomes are, are twofold for everyone. Um, and I think that is going to be something that, uh, you know, makes a difference for them and wherever they head next, their workplace and their families and, and their communities. Um, and so I think those are sort of two areas where I'd say that all, all girls should think about, um, And, you know, particularly right now, as we're facing uh, just, you know, different challenges at home and at school, um, young women more and more need to really sort of figure out what uh, what is special for themselves and lean into that and then figure out how to rely on each other, their friends, their classmates and uh, and, you know, their families um, to move forward.
0: Marissa, thank you so much for joining the show today. Before you leave, is there anything that you would like to leave with the listeners, whether it's something that you want to reiterate from our conversation today or something that you want to bring up that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one thing we didn't touch on, which is uh, is at the front of so many um, folks' minds right now, is how we build adaptability um, in ourselves and our children. Um, and, you know, I think uh, it's um, going to be more and more critical um, for the coming year in particular, but more critical than in prior generations, uh, not just for the year facing the global pandemic, but for the next number of decades as transformational change happens, um, you know, in society, in the workplace, in our families, um, because of technology, because of shifting social norms and, and beyond. Uh, and I think this idea of uh, one's adaptable, skill set ones, you know, there's a new term for it called an adaptability quotient. We've always talked about IQ and EQ, maybe, you know, intelligence quotient and emotional quotient, but there's a new idea out there now around the adapt your adaptability quotient as well. And I think that's something um, to plant a seed for all leaders listening today to think how you're building your own adaptable skill set, um, and the adaptive skills of uh, your team and your children at home as well. Um, because there's research out there about how we can do better at being adaptable and and build adaptability in others. And I think that is going to uh, make as much a difference, not just for the coming year, but for decades to come organizationally, but also, uh, personally and professionally as individuals.
0: Well, Marissa, where can people go to learn more about you and your work and especially your new book?
1: The book, of course, is available on Amazon, links to the book, excerpts, as well as other resources for leaders, parents, educators uh, on my website, uh, marissaporges.com. And feel free to to check it out and and hopefully continue the conversation about what we can do for the next generation of, of young female leaders.
0: All right, Marissa, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for having me, Josh.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Marissa. If you did, I encourage you to check out her new book, What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. Help people lean into their natural talents. This might mean helping people understand what their natural talents are, but after that happens, help them lean into those to make sure they're operating in their strength. The second key takeaway is this. When something seems like a weakness, reconceptualize it so that it feels right and uniquely personal. There may be some particular practice or way of thinking that for whatever reason doesn't work for a person. So if you can help people working under you to begin thinking about something in a slightly different way so it feels more natural to them but still accomplishes the same outcome, that might be a much more effective way for them to accomplish the task. And finally, I like Marissa's point that you're always a role model. So be very aware of how you're acting and how you're affecting the people around you. This is one of those principles that this podcast was founded on. Everyone's a leader. Everyone has an opportunity to influence other people's lives. But the question is, do you realize that and how are you using that influence in other people's lives? And speaking of influence, I encourage you to share this episode with someone that you think could also benefit from what we've heard today. That's a great way for you to be able to build others up and make a positive impact in their lives. We'll be back once again next week with more great leadership content. And until then, keep living and leading well.